Welcome everyone to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek and our ongoing DC Film Fest. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today to talk Batman forever. Before we dive into that, Pete, making our way around the horn in pop culture here, Star Wars Bad Batch, the first three episodes are out. Also, rumors of a date for the Acolyte series, uh, that taking place uh, earlier in the timeline and so forth. So, great news out of Star Wars. Yeah. um, Really still think we have a stronger chance to get uh, Skeleton Crew first, but uh, there seems to be some momentum for a, a June date on Acolyte. I know some people are trying to pin that to the uh theatrical re-release of uh episode one the phantom menace in may uh as if things that come out after are tied to things that are released before but anyway uh yeah uh really enjoyed the bad batch where they're taking things now and some connections they're firming up to later in the timeline from star wars to star trek the uh final season trailer came out just yesterday pete i i don't want it to start to end but such is the way of things uh and uh looking forward Looking forward to the April return of that show, though it will be in the beginning of the end. This, as uh, the Star Trek cruise has set sail for this year, uh, Sonequa Martin-Green on that cruise, along with Doug Jones and uh, some of our other cast members from Discovery. Um, We know Discovery gets an ending it wasn't a really on their terms ending it was like all right we're gonna give you a couple days to shoot something and i feel like a lot of what is in the trailer uh at least that we're hearing is stuff from super late like hey one last ride one last dance etc etc uh we are getting closer here to the uh april premiere of the first two episodes of discovery that coming on uh, Thursday, April 4th, uh, we'll be bringing you a preview about uh, the fifth and final season of star Trek discovery soon. Back to Marvel after all the news that happened uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, it, Pete, a lot of coverage over the idea that Marvel is now no longer going to call uh, one of the upcoming Avengers movies, Kang Dynasty, that maybe the sun has set on Kang. And don't get me wrong, Pete, there were a lot of articles written about that in the last week, but I was taken a bit aback. Like, I thought this was just commonly understood, if not already previously discussed. Uh, but I think R.I.P. Kang in a major way. Yeah, uh, this is, this is, it's over. <laughs> they've they've changed the focus of the movie. Um I really didn't see it moving past uh, the Jonathan Major stuff and the whole like, oh, it's totally unconnected to that. Uh, Is it, though? I don't know. (laughs) Pete, this I do know over on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. We are running a poll to determine what uh, one of our upcoming movies will be uh, right towards the 
towards the home stretch, late March, early April, the question is this. Shall we do Joker from 2019 or the Batman from 2022? So voting underway for our, our patrons. Uh, want to mention that, A, as the as this open vote, but also want to give a shout out to the patrons who voted for this week's movie, Batman Forever, uh, choosing, I would say, wisely over Batman and Robin. In overwhelming fashion. I think it's going to be much, much closer that battle of recent movies and uh, ones that uh, I've seen a lot of people have very strong feelings against. And well, Pete will dive onto that as we get closer uh, and turning our eye now towards Batman forever. Here's a prelude, Pete. It is uh, the summer of 1992 when Batman returns comes out a uh, variety of reactions. Is it too dark for kids and so forth? But Pete, the one organization perhaps most angered by Batman Returns is the mighty McDonald's who was not happy with the toys or they st stopped giving the toys out with Happy Meals and so forth. So no joke, McDonald's upset toys, all of that a factor into Warner Brothers saying the next Batman movie batman forever uh needs to be uh you know have better toyification better toy ethics something that's gonna sell more toys and maybe we'll have like a story and visuals and i don't know something else along the way yeah funny that the the batman movie that critics say isn't or doesn't feature batman as much uh gave way to this mid-decade uh, Batman here, Keaton uh, rejects the script, does not come back. So who do you turn to? And, you know, bringing in Val Kilmer, um, some, you know, the, the film in terms of the, the spine is kind of a softer reboot, right? We, we add some vents on the Batmobile. We make it you know, update it, if you will. We put nipples on the Batman and later the Robin man suit um, because, hey, mammals, right? Um, I happen to think Val Kilmer's uh, Bruce Wayne Batman is, is underrated. And here at 34 years old, uh, an actor... I had first seen in, in Top Secret, which was just uh, constantly on cable and his comedic chops fully on display uh, to, to play the, the billionaire playboy here, uh, to, to don the cowl. I think it was about as good a choice as they could make at the time if Keaton didn't want to come back. I cannot envision Michael Keaton in this film. I flat out can't. I think him and Carrie, um, there'd be some kind of like, not matter, anti-matter, but I, I just think the room wouldn't be big enough. Oh, we'll, we'll get to those issues, not Keaton and Carrie, but we'll get to some of those issues uh, with Carrie and somebody else in due course. I found, like, I think back to... Um, Kilmer, mid-1990s. I don't know when I saw 
I mean, I, I, I must have seen Tombstone on on home video uh, prior to Batman Forever, prior to his casting, just thinking of the, the whole, you know, kind of release schedule and so forth. To get Kilmer after Tombstone, it's inspired casting. It really, really is. You then get to this movie, and I just found him to be so wooden. And I understand, as we've discussed with prior Batman outings here, I, I understand that there's so many boxes to check in terms of, um, you know, you need to have enough, enough Bruce Wayne screen time, but also Batman screen time, but also the female lead and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, I did not start watching this movie for the podcast, knowing that there had been trouble on set, but probably while watching the movie, I opened up the Wikipedia Pete, uh, let's see director Joel Schumacher described Kilmer as quote, childish and impossible reporting that Kil- uh, Kilmer fought with various crewmen and refused to I know to there was a two-week gap in, in talking at one point. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that, I can't say here's the scenes that reflect that two-week issue, but I think that Kilmer is so wooden in this. And again, I think part of it is you only get so much Bruce Wayne screen time, and he's always kind of like the American James Bond. You know, he's always the one to say, I'm in control of the situation. I will have someone look look at that at Wayne Enterprises I you know he's he's such a guy who's in charge of his own destiny that maybe for a Kilmer who needs the tombstone you know who needs the the, the case of consumption and the southern accent or does not come back for the next Batman movie so he can go on and play the saint where he has all sorts of accents and little acting things you know maybe this just just was not a good fit but boy I, the guy was not open to being directed for two weeks I feel like it's kind of evident here in his performance. I think it's a very fine line coming after Keaton's film origin Batman. And again, that they're continuing on. I mean, these, these four Batman movies, this is the Alfred quadrology, right? Like he's the through line. (laughs) Um, And gets a lot in this movie. A lot. He does. he does. He gets the most, ironically, in in the last, um, which you know we're not touching with a with a ten foot ice pole, but um, you know I, I think Kilmer did a a yeoman uh, effort here. I think he really did. I, I think he's he's steady. Um, you know, you have twenty seven year old uh, Nicole Kidman. Uh, you, you've got her, you know, ascendant at, at this point, I think her character's really underwritten and kind of silly. Um, you know, this, this Batman obsession and, you know, there, there are goofy moments in the film. There may not be a goofier moment than when she finally kisses Batman later on and, you know, oh, I, I got what I wanted. But you're not what I wanted anymore. And, you know, Kilmer turns around and smiles to the screen. The faults, the faults in this movie are not Nicole Kidman memorized her lines and did the best job possible performing them. You know, same thing. Yeah. Fine. Kilmer's a little wooden. There's the, there's the story either from this movie or Batman and Robin. Maybe it's Batman and Robin, but Schumacher saying words to the effect of like, don't forget everybody, we're not making a real movie, we're making a comic book movie. Like, lighten up, lighten up. This is the movie that Warner Brothers wanted. And I think that 
15-year-old me didn't fully appreciate that. I think, too, uh, look, the fact that Joel Schumacher, as a gay man, I think probably was overblown in 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 the 1990s in terms of he's making this Batman movie where there's nipples and so on and so forth. What was his mission log? His mission log was toyify it, make it bright, make make younger kids enjoy it more than Batman Returns, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, similarly to, um, like, with this Dr. Chase Meridian character played by Nicole Kidman, does she have a ton to work with? No. But, like, early on when she's clearly, shall we say, Pete, aroused by Batman, the camera's doing it, the direction's doing it, the little... flurry of uh, of wind to move her hair like very clearly she's feeling some real strong emotions and sensations and so forth is it a little over the top yeah again i want to mostly remove all kind of blame from joel schumacher he's directing the movie that warner brothers wanted something that's vibrant and sensuous and alive and crazy and that everybody can go to the movies and enjoy even though this also is a movie with problematic story and crazy visuals and over the top nonsense it's what it's what was ordered yes with within that edict completely and that you have a new batman theme come along with the you know the the keynotes um from the first two films under uh danny elfman um that you know, they just replay the heck out of for Schumacher's two movies. Um, you know, his his duology within this quadrology, um, you know, really puts its own stamp on on these lesser two films. And and really, like, what can you expect for films three and four? Right. They they should be less than because the first had been so good and there are people, you know, that, that feel very passionately that maybe the second one is, is better. And, you know, that Burton's allowed to, that he'd earned really to do whatever he wanted with that one. Um, you know, this, this film was an enormous hit. It was a, it was a huge film that summer. It was the um, biggest opening weekend ever up to that time. $55, 56000000 million. Pete, in the year 2024, movies would love to have yeah. a $55 million opening. Yeah, no, it, it, it scratched an itch. I don't remember specifically the experience of seeing it in the film, but we did in the theater. Um, but, uh, and it was... At that time, you know, the the slingshot had really been ripped as far as turning the film around for VHS, you know, that the the film is set around Halloween, that we were watching it Halloween 1995 in my dorm room, uh, having picked it up at a grocery store, like, hey, Batman, I saw this this summer. Oh, it's 20 bucks. Throw it in, man. Um, you know, so we're, we're watching it. Um, the, the two face prologue here with the, with the vault heist and the over the top security guard. Oh, what do you mean? 
acid. You know, the, per, the perhaps the greatest or... line in 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 drama, <laughs> uh, drama novels, whatever. Pete, better than Great Gatsby, angry and half in love with her, tremendously sorry I turned away. Better than shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Better than to be or not to be is boiling acid. Um, and the copter crashing into the Statue of Liberty and. And everything there, but you know, for for middle of the '90s action, you know, they they done the the more kind of gothic grounded thing. So, like you said, it it was it was sell Happy Meals. It was brighter colors in the dark. You know, hence the the neon and the black light and and all that. I mean, this film is of an age. Um, we've always had underlings dress like the villain in the in the film franchise in particular, you know, uh, what well, with with Joker's guys. And now these two face thugs down to the to the neon tommy lee jones guns um you know on the edge there and i guess you know if you're never gonna give us billy d williams um two-face harvey dent i'll take 48 year old uh tommy lee jones matt i can't believe that i'm now the same age that tommy lee jones is in this movie I've never felt old, but that's the closest. And and don't get me wrong, like he's not old in this movie and the amount of stuff that he takes on. And, you know, maybe this is a time to talk about how he was on set. Um, Back to these uh, back to these quotes here from Joel Schumacher. Um, Joel Schumacher said uh, Tommy Lee Jones was threatened by Jim Carrey. Uh, continuing the Schumacher quote here, I'm tired of defending overpaid, overprivileged actors. I pray I don't work with them again. And then Pete, the pièce de résistance, a Jim Carrey quote from about 10 years ago, um, which says uh, that uh, the quote is this, that um, Tommy Lee Jones said to Carrey, I hate you. I really don't like you. And the best of all here, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> Pete, 1995 was a year that in 1994 jim carrey had uh three movies come out uh ace ventura the mask and dumb and dumber uh then the next movie after that was batman forever uh his next movie in 1995 was ace ventura 2 by the end of those five movies or pardon me for the next phase of his career after those five movies i would argue pete off of the success perhaps of batman forever showing that he can be Jim Carrey, but not always just like full Jim Carrey. You know, like Ace Ventura is just Jim Carrey nonstop, right? Um, Jim Carrey became the highest paid actor in the history of Hollywood. The first one to be paid $20 million a movie based on his run from 1994 and 1995, including this movie. Culturally, Jim Carrey was the biggest star of those couple of years r rocketing to the ascent. I think we can look back now and say our most Jim Carrey comedic performance is very similar. Yes. However, he was aware of that. We weren't too far away from some of his dramedy and dramatic roles and so forth. So I say shame on Tommy Lee Jones for being threatened 
just because Jim Carrey is rocketing to the top of, I mean, I think you can make an argument that mid nineties, Carrey was a, Carrie's star was hotter than that of Schwarzenegger and Carrie was maybe the biggest star in the world for a stretch. You know, in loving, in loving, in living color made him a household name and rocketed him to these roles. But I go back to, you know, 1985, uh, once bitten with, with Jim Carrey, you know, I'd, I'd seen him on screens for a long, long time and, you know, could recognize that this dude, you know, the abilities that he had with his, his face and finding humor, you know, I, I, I really think Matt, like it's Robin Williams one, and then like Jim Carrey one a, um, Jim Carrey's performance on the Showtime uh, TV show kidding that they only gave two seasons to. I think if Tommy Lee Jones had ever sit down and watch that and it'd be interesting to see if his, his feelings had ever changed about his co-star here, you don't really feel the tension when they're on screen. And I credit that to Tommy Lee Jones being an ultimate professional, but, um, yeah, like you look what Carrie goes on to do as a result of these roles and being so in demand. I mean, he put he put fannies in the seats. There's there's no denying it. And again, like he's he's doing what's in the script, which is really bad. You know, this idea that uh, Edward Nigma underling of Wayne Enterprises idolizes Wayne has the the tech uh savvy uh the the stuff with brainwave manipulation his box and that he's he's gotten Bruce's attention uh who he's intimidated by and uh okay hey hey uh you know send send the uh particulars to my assistant cuz he's just seen the bat signal what strangely sours Bruce Wayne on on the tech though? Oh, oh, you need an answer now? No, then then brain manipulation. That's when it becomes too far. Okay, this it's not Carrie's fault, man. He got done dirty by a a really wonky script. And I would say the the script and the direction perfectly suit Jim Carrey. Like Jim Carrey's Riddler is of this movie in a way where, um, you know, Val Kilmer as Bruce Wayne is, is getting the job done, but I don't think that it's, I think he's a little out of sync and we discussed how he's not, you know, talking to the director for it. Tommy Lee Jones, I think is trying to catch up to Jim Carrey's energy. And it's, that's just not in, uh, in Tommy Lee Jones's wheelhouse here. Again, it's like Schumacher and Carrie are, are on the same page. I just want to mention, particularly with the Riddler and the Riddler question mark and so forth, and Toyification and McDonald's, Pete, at my parents' house still, all these years later, <laughs> is uh, the there was a set of four glass mugs you could get at McDonald's. We The one that we got that has the, the, like the Batman Forever logo, you know, Batman sure. symbol around the what, whatnot. Like, it still is there in pristine, not just pristine whatever like it's it's part of the just the general use of you know your parents collect the stuff from across the years oh, so it's that. not in a china cabinet 
Oh no, no, it's it's right. it's a little higher up, but it's like like you know if we're over there, the, the Burger King Star Wars glasses they go in the China cap, <laughs> you know. But yeah, no, I I hear you on that. And again, it was a total pop culture thing at a time when the comic book movie was was not an every year every summer phenomenon so that you could sink your teeth so heavily and this one delving the deepest into it right like we get the harvey dent backstory of why he hates bruce wayne though on you know small uh tv footage in something that should be like that should have been a bigger flashback build that motivation instead hey he was on trial and a dude threw acid at the district attorney and batman couldn't get in between them and he blames batman although good news pete since they decided to not go with um with uh billy d williams and decided to forego tim burton's general idea of the duality of Two-Face and things being black and white and having a black actor play it. And, you know, perhaps there being some some exploration there of diversity and so forth. Good news, Pete. Diversity in this movie is represented by, let me just keep scrolling, 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 George Wallace as unnamed major, uh, unnamed mayor, pardon me, uh, and En Vogue as Girls on Corner hoping to see Batman. <laughs> That's it for people of color in this movie. Well, I wonder if it was a connection to Carrie or if it was unrelated, but Damon Wayne's was heavily, heavily uh, rumored, pushed, what have you to be uh, Dick Grayson, to, to be Robin. And instead they bring in Chris O'Donnell. Who's, who's fine here. If, if we're going to be surprised go, by how fine, I don't mean that fine, like yeah, hot, like it's two of these movies. It, yeah. it, it wasn't on him either that we introduce him at the circus with the flying Grayson's everything tracks Richard here, the gearhead orphan. Um, I had first seen him in a film a couple of years earlier, circle of friends with, mini driver he'd been in scent of a woman uh school ties in a in a tinier role like he's he's completely fine here i really can't envision damon waynes as as robin um i, I can't see him in a, in a serious role doing that here um so yeah to to give bruce wayne at this point the third film you know it, it's funny this one's batman forever right the third movie <laughs> uh when it has batman and robin in it which this one should be called batman and robin i guess they didn't think they'd get a fourth movie or they didn't want to name it batman forever like that should be the name of the fourth movie f-o-u-r is it possible that like the the title is somewhat aspirational which is to say like no more tim burton no more michael keaton no more slightly more serious tone uh, no more scaring children no more upsetting <laughs> mcdonald's what we have here isn't just Everything a passing thing <laughs> it is batman forever i i'm i'm sure somebody some suit would would say that but 
you know how you take the Star Wars movies and switch all the titles around and be <laughs> like, wait a minute, you know, Revenge of the Sith? No, it's not the third movie. It's it's the fifth movie. You know, like, yeah, you can completely do that with these and it would work. Um, you've got, I mean, you've got two and a half origin stories in this movie. You've You've got uh robin you've got the riddler you've got some of uh harvey two-face that the tv people call him for yeah. some strange what was reason. that harvey yeah I, th- yes <laughs> that bothered me perhaps more that bothered harvey me two-face. more than it's two-face Cosby's. man <laughs> yeah um i'll also mention at uh when we are at the not the, the circus but a bit later on when we're at the party where there's also the brain is it the launch party for for uh jim the 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 riddler technology um that scene uh features a cameo by uh vermont a former now former then current vermont senator patrick Leahy, who uh, batman right what's that huge batman fan huge batman fan to the point that uh, it's his first of, I think, five appearances in Batman uh, movies. He, uh, yeah, he was in this. He was in, uh, he, he voiced someone in a Batman animated series episode. He's in Batman and Robin uh, twice in the Dark Knight trilogy, as well as playing a senator in uh, Batman v Superman. Um, all his royalties and fees from his Batman appearances have gone to charities, including the Kellogg Hubbard Library in Vermont, where he learned to read as a child, Pete, in part, reading Batman comics. That's pretty cool. That is. Um, You know, regardless of, you know, how you might feel politically, that, and and what an unlikely cameo, right, to to go with that. Um, The film, though produced by Burton, comes really kind of, close to wiping away the joker connection to uh bruce wayne's parents murder really de-emphasizing who the shooter was right i mean in a in a nightmare like flashback we can't make the face out they really kind of uh backpedal that there i mean you were never going to get nicholson back um you're certainly not going to reuse the footage from 89 and 95. Um, but that's an interesting choice there. I mean, later on, Oh, I'm going to tell you something I've never, never told anybody like, Oh, wait, we're going to hear about the murder. No, we hear about the, the finding of the cave, which after the parents is, is the second most overdone thing <laughs> in Batman stories. Right. You got to kill the parents, and then up, oh, he's got to fall. It, I found myself in the last week thinking a lot about how, um, in a, to a certain degree, Batman movies are kind of the American James Bond, um, in that you have a bunch of boxes they need to hit, and don't deviate from those boxes, but also give us something brand new, but also something that's familiar, and make sure that you do the bat light and say Bond, James Bond, like oh, there's all these things, right? Similarly. You know, the Schumacher era is kind of like the Roger Moore era. Like, we're, there's just craziness here that you can like or you can dislike. I love and, me Roger Moore, James Bond, though. I'm I'm sorry. Like, I, I refuse to look at that as a slight. 
No, and I don't. Well, let me put it this way: I don't mean it as a slight towards the James Bond films. I think that, or or to the Roger Moore era. However, I think, I think there's something from the, some of the, like honestly, Pete, the fact that I'm in my in my mind's eye, Wayne Enterprises looks the same as the circus, which looks the same as the Nigma Tech launch party I, I get it that's the visual aesthetic of the whole thing but it, it's making me think of the fun house and the man with the golden gun where it's just like there's a zany cheapness and and so forth but I, I guess my point is this the way james bond can evolve with the times and sometimes we say make it more um i don't know more of a mental relaxation like you know, I, I don't want nukes and russians let's do something zany and crazy and then other times we bring it back to more kind of stark and so forth so too does batman and obviously this movie batman forever today and batman and robin which we're not we will not be discussing next week you know they're both they're both in that area of who wants to have a nice old time at the movies not let's have a deep discussion about life yeah so when you need a couple girlfriends for uh i'm not gonna call him harvey two-face <laughs> or uh harvey dent and two-face right with sugar and spice with 19 year old at the time of filming drew barrymore uh who had you know been in and out of controversy you know uh 1982 et and here we are you know uh 1995 uh you know, you could fire up the the uh, the Max, the the VHS, the DVD, and and see what we're getting at here. And uh, you know, she's she's the she's the good one, right? She's the good angel on the shoulder. And then we've got uh, Debbie Mazar over there as a spice. It it irks me that this movie, and it's even more so in Batman and Robin, like every little part needs to have somebody in it who's recognizable. Heaven forbid that you find, you know, a serviceable character actor or just sit and go, wow, this this fresh-faced person is a new talent. Um, or they've been around Hollywood for, for, you know, 20, 30 years for whatever. Like, again, to sit and go, Ed Bagley Jr. as... Um, the character Pete, I would have to. I'm looking it up. Right. There's the only reason I know it. As Fred Stickley, like you could just have a guy in there. Same thing. You don't need to go. That's that's Drew Barrymore. And look, there's Debbie Mazar. You know, from from, from Goodfellas and Little Man. Ta like we don't need to do that, but I guess somehow there's the feeling that we needed to do that because basically everybody in this movie is recognizable. By the time that Carrie's fully taken on the persona of the Joker with, with help from the old timey, you know, animatronic thing uh, that's encouraged him to, uh, to embrace the question mark. Um, and again, of that age for comedy at that time, nobody was doing it better. Um, but there's just things about the way they costume him and make him up. He's wearing a, like a stick on felt mask for a lot of these scenes. I mean, with the way that he can contort his face, 
Um, and you know, the, the, the well retold story of him being in Canada and, and in his basement, you know, taking a mirror, uh, to pass the time and, you know, all the different things he could do with his face. I just don't think it allows him the opportunity to fully explore that. Pete, let me devil's advocate you there on the heels of um, his three movies from 1994 and the Jim Carrey thing on full display, let alone uh, um, in living color and and his career even before that. um, Maybe they said, look, sometimes the Riddler wears a mask. Hey, Jim, while wearing the mask, that might take away some of the, the, the squishiness, you know, around your eyes and so forth. Let's how else could you perform it? I just think of some of the stuff where he's in when he's in the green, uh, you know, like Lycra jumpsuit and it's just the full on the, the whole body motion. Um, again, maybe maybe the feeling of we we already did crazy face and then some, let's say, in the mask with the computer generated stuff. Let's I just think of how he's giving a full body performance there. Um, and it's again, it's only like because we have all basically seen the entire body of Jim Carrey movies and comedies and so forth. Perhaps he'll, perhaps he's got some great films left in him, but I, I suspect, uh, you know, Hollywood has moved on or he's moved on or whatever it might be, but it's only because we know his shtick now that we look at this movie and go, Oh, it's just more peak Jim Carrey in 1995. Yeah. There was the three movies prior to this, but we're all just reveling in what he brings. He's like pseudo retired now. I mean, um, and like I said, kidding, man, you watch that and, and not be moved there. Pl- well, I mean, he is doing, um, the hedgehog movies, the Sonic, the hedgehog movies, but, um, which as Dr. Robotnik there, like that's, that's probably as, as much as you could ever hope to get for a video game villain is, is Jim Carrey, but you go watch you go watch one episode of, of kidding where he's playing essentially Mr. Rogers going through a, a nervous breakdown after the death of a child and after the death of his own child. It's, it's tremendous. Like those two seasons of TV is some of the best that I've ever seen out of one actor. Um, and, and full credit, to him for doing that. And I don't think you get there without these ultra, ultra comedic roles that you're done. You've done. And then the absurdity that life can throw you that he's put in, in that series. Um, but maybe the, the height of goofiness in this film. All right. So they need to finance Nigma's box right they need to steal stuff so he can pay for this to uh, steal everybody's thoughts so stealing so there can be more stealing which fine it's a comic book movie but this robbery montage where at one point they wind up in a casino and it's bedlam yet there are two security guards standing still in front of the riddler and two-face where the Riddler asks to be instructed how to punch a guy (laughs) and a guy just stands there waiting to get punched. 
I think back to how kind of Tim Burton's edict on, on Batman 89 was stay away from the 66 TV show at all costs. And what, what have Joel Schumacher and company and writers and studio, what have they done for this movie leaning into the, in spirit, leaning into the, the TV show? I mean, you're right that that's a bonkers scene. Um, I'll point out that's probably also a good example of like two faces good, but Riddler is better there. So if Tommy Lee Jones was having this, this issue of this upstart, you know, uh, outshining him, you know, there, there you see it on display. Can I also mention Pete, something that frustrated me from June, 1995, when I first saw this movie and I was surprised still frustrates me to this day. Why do they show Tommy Lee Jones so much from his right side from the from the Harvey side, and then when he does turns, so you can see the makeup. More often than not, it's in weird lighting, so you can't see the particulars of the streaks or this and the other. Like, why are they hiding the Two Face from Two Face? I don't get it. I don't get it. I give him credit. I, I've never heard diva stuff about him. I don't think that that's the case. I think he and Carrie just did not mesh. But I give him full credit for you know, the prosthetics and putting himself into this performance had to have been the, the biggest payday he'd, he'd gotten. Maybe, you know, one of the men in blacks might have surpassed it. I'm, I'm not sure. He certainly doesn't get men in black if he doesn't do this here and prove, you know, he can be in a zanier type of movie, a, a tentpole of this magnitude. Um, but by this point in the story, we, we've got to further develop uh, Robin, who's just obsessed with, I've, I've got to find out what's behind the, the door here and does the over-the-top gymnast uh, you know, high flying act to to get into the secret door, right? That's that's foreshadowing later when uh, Jim Carrey will make a button that will open it. <laughs> um, but Master Dick takes the car and goes out to meet In Vogue <laughs> and get bullied by them as Bat Boy, and then fights Neon Blacklight punks. And kisses a girl. Uh, Pete, I was about to defend him finding the Batcave. And then you just proceeded at, at, at a representative pace onto the next couple scenes. And now, you, now, you, now you've basically ruined my, my ability to defend the scene. But I, I, will, I will point out this, Pete. In the Batman TV series, Batman 66, uh, do you know why they added the character of Aunt Harriet? I do not. Uh, the network was concerned that two men living together would appear homosexual. I don't think that that, I don't think, Pete, if anything, I don't think this movie is concerned about such things. But if we're going to try and explain why it is that the secretive Bruce Wayne is allowing someone else to now be, you know, his co-crime fighter and so forth, I do like the story note of Dick Grayson takes the initiative to find the secret the dick grayson is the pilot of his own 
uh, story plane here in terms of uncovering the secret and saying, wow, this is a great thing. Wow, I too have had loss. Like it's a very, Pete, it's, it's, it's pointing back to Dick Grayson. It's pointing back to Robin and making him an agent of his own change. Um, so I think that's a good note. I cannot uh, defend him stealing the Batmobile. Also, by the way, I hate this Batmobile in part because the giant fin that rocks as it goes down the back lot at Warner Brother, I mean Gotham City, um, it also looks, that just makes it look cheap. The design I personally don't care for, but just a thought there that we have we have Dick at the center of his own story uh, as he breaks into the Batcave. And then Nygma, who earlier so intimidated by Bruce, right, but wanted like uh, Dick Grayson to to be a partner now has taken himself to being some kind of knockoff of Bruce Wayne, right? The tux, the glasses, the mole, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, learning Bruce's secret when he sets foot into the, uh, the box there at the, the big gala unveiling and uh, Drew Barrymore pulls a, another power cell out of her teddy bear. Uh, I really enjoy Carrie playing Val Kilmer, playing Bruce Wayne. <laughs> I think that, I, I, again, it's like... Jim Carrey was a handsome... Not that he's not handsome now. Um, yeah, like, everybody thinks, oh, goofball and living cartoon and everything. Like, you put the two of them side by side, you clean him up, like... Yeah, like that's among what this film does right. And I credit Jim Carrey for knowing that too. You know, again, off these five movies in 94 and 95, $20 million payday for Cable Guy in 1996, then does Liar, you know, which as a satire, I mean, overall, I like Cable Guy, but I, I think it wasn't goofy Jim Carrey. What does he follow that up with? Liar, oh, Liar, were deep, man. You go back and watch that. That thing is complex. Totally agree. I'm just saying in terms of the the teenage audience saying, we're going to see him do more, you know, Ace Ventura talks out of his butt. Like, it's not quite that. But then what does he follow up with that? Liar, liar, which is, you know, super funny, kind of like safe territory. He gets to do a whole bunch of different things. But then what comes after that? Him starting his dramatic turn, yeah. Truman Show, which is, you know, stellar and so forth. So... My point being, I think Jim Carrey knew, despite all the difficulties when he was growing up and for a time his family was homeless. And do you know the story, Pete, of the check that he gave his father at his father's funeral? I It sounds vaguely familiar. It, it, it's, it's something like he told his father, like, one day I'm going to be a millionaire as an actor. And it was like, all right, son, you, you go trust yourself. Um, and when his father passed away, it was just at the beginning of jim carrey's career and at the funeral so like i don't know if jim carrey literally had a million dollars in the bank but it was clear that stardom was happening um and at his father's funeral jim carrey had a check for a million dollars that he put in his father's coat in the casket i remember hearing the story in 1994 when it was goofball jim carrey and going this guy has more than comedy up his sleeve and as you're saying pete you look at his resume overall he's showing that he's going to show that in the late 1990s. He's shown that in kidding and he's shown that in his career. Yeah. I, I think he's really proven to have that staying power and, and taken away that 
that one note observation a lot of people had had because you know you look at this meteoric rise and we're fickle as audiences right like oh you know oh jim carrey we're past him and that he'd been able to reinvent himself and there's shades within the the knockoff wane here right that that there's more to him um the same way with what's going on with bruce right this idea of the repressed memories and that chase is first interested in batman but then comes to realize well he's one note i I want the more complex you know damaged bruce wayne who i can also fix um but the batman movies that we can look back at now you know it's it's the second most overused trope the i'm going to try to tell the love interest in this movie that i'm batman and can't get the words out right after the most overused trope that the girl gets kidnapped yeah as discussed before in nicole kidman not a lot is given to her here aside from act incredibly aroused by either batman or bruce wayne or both I will give credit, by the way, Pete, to the story that, you know, like if I said, Pete, what's the first iconic comic book movie where the masked hero kisses the girl and later on the girl's like, wait, those lips, I have figured out your secret identity. Everyone would say, it's clearly Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. Everybody remembers the upside down (laughs) kiss. Everybody remembers her saying, feeling her lips, but wait, but what? And the heartache and the, nope, it's this movie. This movie got there first, got there first legitimately in its own zaniness but it's not you know they they don't it's not ham-handed beyond its own ham-handedness um there's never a toby Maguire spider-man without this movie yeah and you can't just i I make that statement not out of chronology that one precedes the other but this paved the way to that to to do the kabuki uh two characters have a mask on and you can't see their lips move scene on the rooftop between spider-man and the green goblin um that can't happen unless this movie part triumphs at the box office part stumbles as it holds up less and less well and you mentioned the box office um, you know, I said it was the biggest, then the highest opening weekend of all time. Um, it was sixth in the year for 1995, but separating Batman Forever sixth place and Die Hard with a Vengeance first place, it's thirty million dollars. Die Hard with a Vengeance was the number one movie in '95. Wow, it, it was. And I, listen, I won't go dollar by dollar here, I but contributed to it, man. I, I'm a big believer in that movie. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, $366 million, Batman Forever, sixth place, $336 million. In that $30 million range, you also have, again, Die Hard at the top, Toy Story, Apollo 13, GoldenEye, and Pocahontas. My point is this. You might say, the sixth highest grossing film of 1995, it's proof that it didn't do very well. 
it's $30 million away. In a, I mean, everybody basically is tying for first place. That's, that's kind of my point there. Your top that's six. That's a really balanced. Yeah. Um, now it's so, you get somebody that's just so far and ahead away. And then, you know, there's a lot of distance between films. That, that's a really even group. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, it's it, numerically at sixth place. I would say everybody's tying for one and one a and so forth. And to your point, Pete, it's a huge, it's a huge hit. Maybe not as big as the first one, um, but it does just like audiences embrace this movie for as much as we look, we go back now and we see all the faults. Um, it's not like Pete, like watching this was not a slog against my soul. Oh, by the way, next week, Green Lantern, this is probably gonna be a slog <laughs> in all our souls. It, it will slog on our souls as we watch it there. Um, but Chase is, is kidnapped amid the, the discovery, the, the telling of the discovery of the cave and the discovery, see how they're doing this here, right? It's, it's, it's theme, it's narrative combined and crossing the discovery of the cave by the bad guys and its subsequent destruction, which is not complete in total, um, down to Alfred being savagely hit and falling on his face near lifeless. Like I rewatched that scene twice. Holy smokes, man. I get it. It's a stunt double, but what you did to an old man, that should make you really not like those characters. <laughs> um, it, this is a portion of the movie where everything is so over the top, but everything has been over the top the entire time. And again, maybe it's I'm watching this with more mature eyes from life and more mature comic book movies and so on and so forth. I feel like this portion of the movie is just, we're not quite at the climax quite yet, um, but it's just kind of a cacophony of, um, I won't say buffoonery. I'm no Tommy Lee Jones, but the I agree, Pete. It's engaging stuff, and we all feel for Alfred and so forth. But it's a little noise drowned out by more noise. So that this scene happens on Halloween, right? And that, okay, let's have more dressing up because the Batcave wasn't completely destroyed, and there's one untested bat suit left and there's now a robin suit what's the r stand for that's what it stands for and the bat boat and the bat wing and this island because it's it's about as villainy bond stuff as you can do right to have the 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 villain island that everything has your logo on it and the stealing of the thoughts is literally taking you there in the air with the neon green. And all right, if you've got to check things off, you've, you've got to have, if you've got Robin on screen for the first time, you got to make a holy whatever Batman joke. So, so they give you that, which I remember loving it. Like I thought that that was just so well done particularly you know we talked when we did the original batman how that summer summer of 89 how um because of the thirst for batman content the tv show was on constant rerun um 
so to if Pete, that felt like such a nuanced joke. Um, you have to 15 year old me, you, you, you have to get one in. Okay. And, and it's among the better <laughs> points of, of a, of a goofy movie that didn't see itself as, as goofy at the time. I, I don't think the film has a very good sense of its awareness, um, you know, down to, well, what's, what's gonna have Batman break the Riddler. Well, the Riddler can't resist a riddle, right? So I'm going to distract him by asking a riddle. Well, that gives me time to bring the sonar batarang out and throw it at the big glass set thing above your head. Um, and then, you know, everybody goes falling simultaneously and there's the complete ignoring of physics that chase would you know yes. pull a, uh <laughs> what's the other spider-man uh girlfriend that dies in the in the second one right like oh, gwen stacy yeah like yeah. what should have happened to gwen Sta- what happened to gwen stacy should have happened to chase meridian right like come on <laughs> there's no such thing as terminal velocity batman can fall f- faster because exactly. he wants to this movie is a series of scenes of Batman falling. <laughs> it's like, well, he's a bat. We got to have him come from heights and, and, you know, he doesn't just dangle off things. He falls off things. Um, but Hey, thank goodness. There are pockets in this new suit that contain pocket change. Yeah. I, first of all, I can be sympathetic to the perspective of Tommy Lee Jones when it comes to Jim Carrey in that Tommy Lee Jones has the more, indeed, perhaps the most senior actor in the movie, not number one on the call sheet. That's Val Kilmer, not oldest actor. That's Michael, Michael Goh or Michael Goff, however it's pronounced. Um, but he's supposed to be the number one bad guy. And here Riddler is getting the better razzmatazz showdown here we have more riddler stuff that we'll discuss momentarily um versus how do they defeat two-face there's a bunch of coins that are going to confuse him and because he's confused he's gonna fall and die um so shades of superman 2 i guess where the story solution is i don't know fall into smoke (laughs) but how tommy lee jones a veteran of nearly 30 years of film at this point misunderstood this role i i don't think he possibly could have and he gives it his all he's he does not hold back in this there's not like a i'm not gonna do that that's that's too goofy i will not do that never does it um the 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 script to the letter uh not his fault that they decide well you go out because you really like change i think too there's probably a certain aspect you know this he's got a bunch of movies between the fugitive and batman forever but i'm just imagining in the chronology of his career and the oscar win you know the batman folks come a calling and say hey wouldn't it be great if we had an oscar winner for our movie, by the way, The Fugitive, also a Warner Brothers movie. So, like, I, I think there's a certain, like, we got Tommy Lee Jones, the Oscar winner. Is he given Oscar-level stuff here? No. Um, 
to your point, after Batman Forever, he does Volcano. Then Men in Black, where, again, I don't know how big a payday Volcano would have been, but, like, Men in Black, he's him him and Will Smith. It's the secret sauce of them being together and so forth. Um, he's the soul of that movie. Yeah. There's no way around it. Okay? And at at that point, with the next Jim Carrey, right? Albeit different, you know, and, and Smith had had the the breakout of uh independence day at that point to give him the the action chops right uh that and and bad boys but yeah i i I think this film knows what tommy lee jones is there to do and and does right by him i i don't think it it short shrifts him um but then, as you said, to to wrap up Riddler here, to have uh, him sent to Arkham Asylum to get Rene Abagenois in, in one scene here as the as the doctor running it. Uh, if only we could have returned to him, you know, you identified a weakness that this film constantly has to reach for people we recognize i think at least his usage here that is a feature and not a bug i would agree i mean and i would agree with both of your comments first being he's a great presence here it's late in the movie you want to get a familiar face to kind of punch through and so forth but even better would have been and he's back in the next movie um and maybe that was part of the the casting there because i know we end up at arkham is he back in, in the sequel? Uh, pardon me. I, what I'm saying is if the plan had been to get him back, okay. then that would have made sense. And I don't know if maybe that was, was that part of the thinking at the time in the movie in, in Batman and Robin, we are back in Arkham Asylum. So maybe it was just, maybe the schedules didn't line up or whatever it might be. Um, but um, Pete, since we're talking about roads not taken, can I also say, knowing uh, again not for our podcast purposes but knowing that now the batman and robin uh, the film would, would happen two years later you end with jim carrey in arkham asylum fine i get that cost wise you would not want to return to him they're going to spend 24 or 25 million dollars to get schwarzenegger the only bigger person in the 1990s than him for the next one and so forth but boy it would have been nice if you got if it was one scene hey jim can you come by we'll give you a chunk of change come by for a day or two to be in the background or to be there still flapping away saying i'm batman like all of that it would have been nice road not taken it would have been something you would have put in the contract nowadays you would have said and return for Two hundred thousand dollars return for no more than five days of filming for two scenes, like whatever it is, they would have figured it out. But, but that's where we ended. Uh, it's almost where we ended, Pete. We end with the the cheapest ending ever, which again in nineteen ninety five, I was like, that this just looks cheap. Which is the two guys running in front of the the bat signal in a soundstage with smoke as they run to camera. The that's end. Probably not even our our actors right in, yeah, in yeah. shadow to to new adventures in in batman and robin in a film that should have been called batman and robin back to your point real quickly now you know we weren't ready for the the extended cameo if you will 
you know, in a Batman movie, that wouldn't be till Nolan brings back his guy now nominated for best actor uh, two more times in his Bat trilogy uh, in in tiny roles. Uh, the world just wasn't ready, Matt. Uh, Jim Jim Carrey couldn't come back in Batman and Robin until uh, Nolan could bring back Scarecrow two more times. <laughs> All I know is this. I mean, I feel like the sum total of watching this movie has it's been a positive one, even though some of that positivity has been I'm going to play with my phone and look up facts about this movie or time to go get another seltzer. If I miss the next 30 seconds, so be it. Well, here's a fact for you, Matt. And, you know, you get a little bit of it throughout the film, but fully in the credits. The the soundtrack of leaving is uh, Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me by U2, which... That was the soundtrack for me of 1995, okay? And then a massive hit in Seal's uh, Kiss from a Rose, okay? Uh, On top of other things that are on that album that, uh, listen, you know, Prince's uh, Bat Dance, Bat soundtrack is is always going to be one, but this is 1A as far as the amount of hits produced from it. According to Wikipedia, this soundtrack sold almost as many copies as Prince's soundtrack. So again, if you're looking for the the toyetic, it's not literally a toy, but if you're looking for that merchandising opportunity, there it is. I've never been a huge fan of the U2 song from this, but I mean, Kiss from a Rose. Pete, the only person who doesn't like Kiss from a Rose is my sister-in-law, who whenever it's on, anybody in the family will take a screenshot or record it or whatever and send it to her because it's just well known <laughs> that she hates the song. Pete, would you care to guess who directed the Kiss from a Rose uh, music video? Uh, Joel Schumacher? Joel Schumacher, there you go. So uh, again, there you go. There you go. Even, come on, there's, there's a Method Man joint, the Riddler, okay on that track that that holds up today like this is a really eclectic interesting listenable soundtrack today today um but i I just i give mad props there that's that middle ground you two right that's the this is the the fully you know uh electric 90s era u2 with the you know over the top presentation mysterious ways octone baby uh you know letting it all glam out there uh which again is is perfect for this film yeah it's like the things wrong with this movie were wrong then are they wrong now like for example i think of the the renewed um viewer uh joy that there's been in people discovering the marvels that you know a lot of people skipped in theaters now finding on disney plus blah 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 we're like regardless of its tortured process and it probably should have come out earlier and so on and so forth you watch the movie and you go i had fun at the movies with an affirming bright flashy movie that i think it has more to say you know it's more kind of positive towards women than this movie is positive towards 
you know, larger life lessons and so forth. But some of our comic book movies can be dark and plotting and, you know, R-rated Joker looking at, you know, people on the fringe. And then there's Marvels that's fun and light, you know, Shang-Chi, just super fun. Like Batman Forever, for all its faults, is still a fun time at the movies and has that going for it. So want to thank our patrons uh, for having made uh, what I think everybody feels was the right selection and that nobody was harmed by having to watch uh, Batman and Robin. Indeed, Pete. And uh, since we're talking about uh, listeners and so forth, our poll on Twitter, uh, what did you think of this movie? What were the highs or the lows? Uh, we'll go from bottom up and pete you know most of our polls tend to be top heavy this is not one one star buffoonery got 23.5 percent two stars codpiece got 41.2 percent three stars sugar and spice got 29.4 percent and then four stars carry carries uh got 5.9 percent some replies here noel gardner at noel camille says my anticipation for val kilmer was over the moon Besides Alfred, I don't have anything good to say. Can't wait to listen to this episode and find out all the behind-the-scenes drama, uh, of which we've recapped plenty. Uh, next, uh, it's Twitter Not Life at KCLYLE1. Says, what can I say about this movie? Worse than the first two, better than the fourth. A bit campy for me. I would have liked to have seen a bit younger Robin, but his intro was pretty good. Uh, I don't go back to this one much. Pete, let me build off of that for a second. Look, Hollywood, we're, we're all we're all familiar with you hire a 24 year old to play, you know, a high schooler or that sort of thing. Right. We're not going to rip anything for doing that too much. But Robin is he needs a he needs custodial. Like he's a ward of the state, but also can drive, but also is man aged, but also is boy aged. The movie just seems to be a little vague on that. He's 24 at the time. Yeah, it it definitely dips its toes in a lot of pools. We hear, heard from Spider-Ham Lincoln at Tess LC 139. Uh, Batman Forever was a fine threequel, in my opinion. Carrie and Jones were great mid-90s casting choices and really brought a 60s Batman villain vibe to the movie. I could take or leave Kilmer and O'Donnell made a good Robin. I always have fun watching this one. Pete, he said it more succinctly than I did. It's a fun movie for all its faults, for all its weirdness. It's a fun movie. Uh, and last tweet here comes from Ben Larson at Larson Ben. Val Kilmer is always good. Jim Carrey is Jim Carrey. I think you either like him or you don't. And I did. Tommy Lee Jones. I don't know what he's even doing here. The movie gets unfairly lumped in with Batman and Robin. It's not nearly that bad. A good, not great movie, which I think is also fairly said. Pete, looking ahead to next week, uh, again, Belly of the Beast here. We're going to fast forward a couple of decades. Green Lantern from 2011, streaming on Max, uh, a movie that I have seen all the way through on Fast Forward on DVD. I've never watched it from beginning to end. So that'll be interesting. Um, and uh, again, past that, some Batman animated stuff. And then want to just mention again the poll that we have on Patreon uh, to choose in about a month's time, uh, Joker 2019 or the Batman and uh, that on Patreon. Indeed, Pete, this all made possible by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. 
everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content, all sorts of levels to choose from. But it takes just a dollar a month to get behind that wall. Matt, people who can't contribute, they can go to Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating, a review uh, that helps us just as much. And Pete, let's keep the geeky conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on social media to talk DC, Marvel, Star Wars, Star Trek, and more? You can find me on Twitter, threads, blue sky at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-L-A-A-R, 12,600 <laughs> followers, can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter, it's looking back lost. Do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, and threads where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Back next week for Green Lantern. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be an experience. I know that, Pete. We'll get through it all together. <laughs> Should have saved it for the, the week of uh, St. Patrick's Day, but... Here we are. You'll you'll be ready for it that way. Indeed. And with that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Talk to you soon.